Chapter 5, verses 12 through 21a. Hear the word of the Lord. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, good morning. My name is Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are continuing our journey through the book of Acts, where we're exploring how God, more often than not, works through the beauty of weakness to accomplish truly amazing things this world over. And that, as many times as we say that, that just is not the way we think about life, is it? Do you remember, here's a question, do you remember what you thought your grown-up life would be like when you were in elementary? <laughs> Some of you are like, don't make me. Um, <clears throat> I remember in third grade, I wanted to be like most, you know, third grade boys, I wanted to be a superhero for the purpose of like squashing villains. And then this kind of continued on at least into fifth grade, but the, the, you know, the, the goal kind of shifted. It wasn't just about squashing bad guys, it was about attracting the attention of girls. Um, and then in seventh grade, I was, I mean, I was worried about girls, but my biggest goal was that I just would not be awkward. Um, and my wife tells me sometimes I still need to work on that one. Uh, <laughs> Then when you get to high school, like for me anyway, it all kind of zeroed in. Like everything started to be about success. In high school, it was whether it be the grades, the sports, or the myriad of extracurriculars, everything had to do with being somebody, doing something to win in life, to be the top. And why? Because like for most of us, when we're driven, when we're focused on something, it's to get what we want. To get what my single-parent household couldn't often provide, which was things like comfort and safety and most of all, happiness. So many of us, I mean, if you were to ask, what, what do we long for in life? It's to be happy and to, to provide elements of happiness for those that we love, those that are closest to us. And if you think about all the things that are available in life, whether it's that promotion at work or that job transition or whether it be a potential spouse or healthy kids, a robust 401k, that corner loft you've had your eyes on for years, whatever it might be, we all ache for the good life. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, all of them have been wrestling philosophically and the greatest thinkers in the world are all aching to know what is the good life. And we all ache for the good life, don't we? As some authors have put our best life now or your life, my life, our lives. And then we come to our text as you are hearing it read we come to a different kind of life, a life that's shaped differently, that's motivated differently, and it has a totally different trajectory. This life we heard, read about, 
that we'll come to find out actually risks everything. And, and, and from the outside looking in, it's a bit counterintuitive. It's not something that naturally draws you in, that if you were from the outside looking in, you'd walk right past it, but from the inside looking out, we come to find that this life contains the hidden path to the good life we all ache for. To discover that, let's take a look together. If you haven't already, would you turn in with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, which is found, if you are using one of our community Bibles, it's found on page number 913. While you're turning there, let me give you the context of this point, or up to this point in the story. So just earlier, two of the apostles, Peter and John, had already been arrested uh, for proclaiming and talking about Jesus. And when they were arrested, they said, hey, you better stop talking about Jesus or else. And so what do they do? They do what most people do that have common sense after they've been threatened by the authorities and the government. They keep doing what they were doing. So they go back out there and they keep proclaiming Jesus and to totally, I mean, just mock the authority and the threats of those that are in leadership there in Jerusalem. And more and more people are embracing Jesus. We heard this read, yes? More and more people are being healed. The crowd is growing. And finally, the high priest and the political leaders, particularly a group called the Sadducees, they can't take it anymore. They, they've got the temple They've got the allure of the sacrifices. And then you've got these nobody Jesus followers who continue to steal this large crowd. It's kind of like, think of it this way. The Nelson Atkins Museum has this large exhibit that's coming into town. They've been publicizing it for months, spending all this money. It's on KCPT. It's on NPR. I mean, all of this stuff has been going out saying, please come to this show. And on the opening day, people start coming in droves. But then they all stop on the sidewalk for a little sidewalk display from a no-name artist and they never make it in the doors. Everyone in Nelson Atkins Museum would be ticked and figure out some way to get this person off the sidewalk, right? So these, these leaders are just overwhelmed with anger and so they figure out, they concoct a plan in order to imprison not just Peter and John, they go for the whole kit and caboodle. They go all 12 apostles and they arrest them and they put them in a public prison. But something happens, we heard about it. An angel... This is it's truly amazing. An angel comes and lets them out of prison, which this isn't the, the point of, of our time together this morning, but what a good reminder that in God's kingdom, there are no locked doors. There's no obstacle that's too big when God is purposed, when he's planned. He doesn't always work that way, but when he does, he can. And it's beautiful. And what does the angel say to them when, when the angel takes them out of the prison? He says, all right, guys, you've been doing a bang up job. It's time to chill, lay low, stay out of the limelight. No, he doesn't say that at all, right? Like, that's what you would kind of expect. It's like, okay, you guys have been doing great. Take a chill pill. It's going to be good. No, he says, actually, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Get back out there and keep doing what you're doing and talk to them about this life. And this is where I want to hit the pause button ever so briefly. Because out of all the ways that everything that they're doing could be summarized. In many ways, all that we're doing today as the church, as it could be summarized, I mean, later on in Acts chapter 11, we're called what? Christians for the first time in a city called Antioch. By the opposition, it's often called the way. But here, when an angel speaks as to what is at the center of what the church is about, it is none other than life. And it's not just some theory untested. It's not a principle within the annals of ideas. No, this is centered in the life and the death and the resurrection, the invincible life of Jesus, the one who came to live and to die for the sins of the world and then rose again. And the apostles are witnesses to this fact. They've seen him ascend to the right hand of God, the Father in heaven, and have the Spirit within them. 
And Jesus says, I've come to bring life and life abundant, new life now, an invincible life that goes through the grave. And so at the center of what we're called to is to embrace this life, to embody this life, and then to proclaim the words, as we see here, the words of this life. And I love what happens next. Like all the Jewish leaders and the Senate of Israel, they gather together in this like majestic courtroom scene and they say, bring in the prisoners. And then the guards say, well, we don't know where they are. Um, they're not in the prison. Well, you, you put them in the prison. Where, where are they? You know, and there's this awkward moment. They say, um, this, this even gets weirder because they're, they're back out in the, the temple courtyard continuing to proclaim about Jesus. You know the thing you've imprisoned them twice about and continued to threaten them when they broke out and, and they're doing that still. And you have to imagine like if this was happening in Judge Judy, there would be a go to a commercial kind of moment because this is totally, this is extremely awkward. But the guards, they go to the apostles and they can't arrest the, the, the apostles because at this point, the crowd is so big that if they tried to arrest the apostles, the text says, the people would stone the guards. And so the guards have to go up to the apostles and say, hey guys, this is a little awkward. Um, would you come back with us back to the uh, courtroom? Uh, they, they need to see you. Uh, and then the apostles agree. They don't put up a fight. They don't say, who are you? They actually agree to go with the guards to the courtroom. And as they walk into the courtroom, surrounded by the Senate of Israel, surrounded by the Jewish religious leaders and political leaders, the high priest starts off. And look with me here at Ma uh, Matthew. Acts chapter 5, verse 28. The high priest says, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You intend to bring this man's, speaking of Jesus, blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as, and I love this, as leader and Savior, to give repentance to Israel, which, imagine this, this is the high priest, this is all the religious leaders, they're a part of Israel, they're hearing this confrontation that they need to repent, and for the forgiveness of sins, and we're witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. And that was the last straw. I mean, folks, you can imagine they're picking up stones ready to throw them at the apostles. They're stretching their throwing arms. I mean, this is all about to descend upon the apostles, but the word of a really famous rabbi, Gamaliel. And what's astounding, Gamaliel being, one of, once, once again, one of the greatest rabbis of the first century and no friend of the This Way movement, he says, guys, let's let this thing play out. If you look in the text, he's like, let's, let's, let's let this thing play out. I mean, we've known other movements throughout history that when their leader died, the movement died. And then he gives two examples, two movements that fizzled out after their leaders died. He first highlights uh, the Theatus, that's how you say it. And he claimed that he was somebody important. He had 400 followers. And then when he was killed, then the, the movement eventually fizzled. And then do you remember Judas the Galilean? When he died, his movement fizzled. And, and what he's basically saying, and you need to understand this, every oppositional movement to the Christian faith will ultimately attack one thing, because this is the starting point, the resurrection. What he's saying is, Jesus, their leader, is dead. So you can imagine, just give it some time, and this movement will fizzle like every other, every other movement has fizzled. And it's actually really sound 
advice. And look what he says here when you get down to verse 38 and 39. He says, So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. He said this 2,000 years ago. Just let that set in. Verse 39, But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And they took his advice. Because it's sound advice. How many movements, organizations, petitions have we seen rise and fall even in our lifetime? This is sound advice. And so they take it, but not before they bring in. So the 12 apostles had actually been ex escorted out while Gamaliel gives his case. But they're brought back in and then they're beat. And to be clear, this is not, you know, a slap on the face or a slap on the wrist. Chances are really good this was a similar scourging that Jesus himself experienced. It was 40 lashes minus one, just barely below a death penalty. And so they stand there emaciated, brutalized. And as they're escorted out, they're once again threatened. Do not proclaim this Jesus again or something worse will happen. And I want to pause there because I think one of the greatest ironies of this life. Remember, this life that is centered in the person and work of our resurrected Savior, the one who's come to give life and life abundant and, in, and exclusively through him to anyone everywhere who will embrace him. This life invites suffering, which is hard for you and I to grasp, I, I, I think, because what do I chase more often than not? What do I, I chase more often than not most anything but suffering. I chase my desires, my five-year plan, my goals, my wants, my comfort. But that's not what this life at its core is about. You see, this life, it invites suffering in the name of Jesus. We're directed, we're called, we're invited to walk into spaces to highlight falsehood and deceit, to call the world and its brokenness to repentance and that invites pain, that invites suffering, that invites ridicule because we follow a Savior who said, pick up your cross and follow me. And more often than not, not only will we pick up the cross and follow him, but you may find yourself nailed to that cross by someone else against your will. That, there's this oppression, this persecution, this suffering that comes with following Jesus. It's a life that is a call to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Why? Because we're engaging on enemy territory and he's not willing to relinquish control all that quickly. So why do this? Gabe, I thought we were talking about the good life. Is this a bait and switch? Um, why do we embrace this life? Why promote this life? Why embody this life? When our couch feels so much more comfortable, when silence feels so much easier, when going with the status quo and going with the flow feels so natural. Because listen, if you don't embrace this life and all that it entails, then you'll also miss out. And this is so important. Look with me here at verse 41. We read, Then they, the apostles, left the presence of the council, weeping, sorrowful, 
lament. No, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Listen to this. The blood is not even clotted on their backs. Their nerve endings are still screaming and excruciating, and yet they're rejoicing. They're celebrating. And I don't want you to think that this is some, some, some sort of like momentary circumstantial joy. The word there used for rejoicing, the celebration, is a constant state of gladness. Suffering. Yes, this life invites suffering. But what we can't also miss is that this life provides unexplainable joy in the midst of that suffering. It's a joy that's possible in the face of much pain. And I can't stress this enough. This isn't some thin, frivolous joy that comes in a circumstantial reality. No, this is a thick and robust joy that comes even in the most joyless of settings in life. And to be clear, this joy doesn't replace sorrow all the time. I don't think real life is that neat. The biblical narrative doesn't present life that neat. Rather, joy that we see here can stare our suffering that we bear in the name of Jesus right in the face. We can lament. We can cry out and simultaneously have joy. The Apostle Paul, I'm really grateful for his transparency and his insight to human nature and even the call of the Christian. Because in one of his letters to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, he describes our state as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It's much messier, but it's not exclusively sorrowful. And oftentimes it's not exclusively rejoicing. It's much more intermixed. It's much more messy. This joy is more meaningful, more beautiful, more robust than clean-cut categories. And one of the greatest miracles of the Christian life is that joy is even possible. With so much suffering prevalent across the world, to follow Jesus invites only more. And yet, the miracle of the Christian faith is that joy, unshakable joy, unexplainable joy is possible. You see, joy for the Christian is kind of like that cool, crisp air at the top of the mountain and also the cool drink of water that you find in the river at the deepest of valleys, but it's not found in the air. And it's not found in the water. So where do we get this joy? I mean, think about it. How do the apostles who are beaten brutally, they're publicly shamed in an honor and shame culture. For us, that feels very distant. We can't even begin to fathom the weight of that on their psyche. And then they feel the opposition and the oppression and the continual threat of authorities and leadership there in Jerusalem. And yet they have joy. And remember, these are the guys who abandoned Jesus at his cross. And yet here, they run into danger, they're brutally whipped, and they celebrate. This isn't hyperbole, this isn't a sham, this isn't a performance. So what is the secret to this unexplainable joy? I don't know if you, for you, but when I was reading this, I want to know where this is coming from. Because for some of you, when you hear this, you think, okay, that's good for other people. But if you're a Christian, don't you dare discount this. Don't cut God short on what he can do in your life. And then secondarily, don't feel this is a con condemning message either. If you don't have this joy, you're failing. This is an opportunity, okay? So let's hear, what's the secret to this unexplainable joy? How does this life provide, this life we have in Christ provide this unexplainable joy? Three things, okay? First, this life is in them. Two, they know this life for themselves. And three, they know where this life is headed. So first, the, the secret to this unexplainable joy is that this life is in them, meaning they're not alone. 
The Holy Spirit dwells within them. This is one of the key marking distinguishers, you know, between now and where they were before the cross. Before the cross, it was them in the flesh. They didn't understand what was happening, but now they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 says what? That the joy is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a part of the fruit of the Spirit, which means it doesn't come from your will. It doesn't come from our circumstances, but it's something that God does in us. It's God's work in us. If we so invite it, so embrace it, and so ask for it. <coughs> so joy is something that comes from the life that is in us, the Holy Spirit working through us. And what is so astounding is that means nobody can steal our joy from us. If the joy doesn't come from our circumstances, if the joy doesn't come from our own tenacity, but it comes from God working in us and nobody can take the Holy Spirit from you, then nobody steals and has the opportunity to steal the source of your joy. Do you see this? Do you see how hopeful this is? Hopefully this breaks through any cynicism or despair. Hear this hope, this good news that's coming. And don't let your arrogance chagrin the joy of the Lord that's possible in the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the secret to this unexplainable joy is that they know this life for themselves. So they walked with Jesus for some three or plus years. And how many times did Jesus say, hey, I'm going to die? Okay, what does that mean? Three, and then, and then I'm going to rise again. Oh, okay, we get it. No, you don't. And so Jesus dies and he rises again. And after the resurrection, they finally start putting the pieces together, don't they? They start saying, okay, now we understand you had to die for the sins of the world. This is why you came. This is why each of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all climax in the cross and then the resurrection, which val validates that Jesus' suffering on the cross was sufficient for the sins of the world and that he rose again the third day because not even death could hold down their leader and their savior. And if death can't hold him down, then death can't hold me down. And if that's true... No amount of suffering can ever stop the life that this life invites. And they begin to finally get what Jesus was teaching on one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Prairie. If you look back in Luke chapter 6, verses 22 through 23, we read, Blessed are you, Jesus is saying this, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. What is he, what's Jesus say next? Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Only when you start to understand how the apostles are putting the pieces together, how they're understanding what Jesus was teaching them is beginning to make sense in their calling. Can you make sense of this oxymoron we find in Acts chapter 5, verse 41? As a reminder, an oxymoron is when you have two seemingly contradictory terms coming together to represent a paradoxical truth. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, we hear what? They counted it worthy to be dishonored. In other words, they found it honorable to be dishonored. That doesn't make any sense unless, unless they understand what's at the very core of their life is this life. Not any other goal that they've been trying to put up in their life, but this life is at the very center of their life. Such that being dishonored this world over was an honor because it makes them much more like their suffering servant, Lord and Savior, their leader, their God. And this is why the apostles can celebrate. Because finally, this is the secret. 
they trust where this life is heading. It's not that the 12 apostles, let me be so clear of this, they're not masochists, okay? They're not like, ooh, suffering, sign me up. Um, that is not the tone and tenor of the church ever, to celebrate suffering. Instead, they know where this is headed. They know that their reward is not found in the kingdom of this world, but found in the kingdom of heaven, and it's anchored and seated with Christ on high, which cannot be touched, cannot be tainted, and they therefore can rejoice because they've been counted among the few to suffer for the name of Jesus. You see, joy is always intimately interconnected with hope. And they have a hope anchored in the resurrected and ascended Jesus that cannot be thwarted. And so, so can their joy. So they may be suffering now, but their suffering will come to an end. You see, only in this life that we see here presented in our text can your life know no end. And if your leader and savior is someone who has defeated death through suffering and given you a hope of life everlasting after the grave, then whether it be fear, whether it be suffering, whether it be hate, whether it be loneliness, whether it be isolation, all of those are temporary, but this life cannot be stopped. This life cannot be stopped. And so that's what we see here in verse 42, don't we? Look with me again. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. No matter what this world threw at them, nothing could stop their zeal for the name of Jesus such that every home, every day, they did not cease going about, continuing to proclaim no matter what threat came because they knew where this life was headed and that this life cannot be stopped by this world. And this is the story of the church. I mean, Gamaliel should have known his defeat was imminent when he heard the apostles rejoicing after they left being beaten. And we see this in the first 300 years of the church. This life continued to grow under emperors like Nero, Domitian, Marcus Aurelius, Decius, Diocletian. They slaughtered, they persecuted, they banned Christians. And yet the church kept growing such that Tertullian, one of the early church fathers in the second century, who experienced, saw the suffering, heard the threats, said boldly this, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. Sometimes they would take the martyrs, they would burn their bodies and spread their ashes in the river because they would say, well, surely your God can't resurrect you now because your body has been decimated. No, 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 no. They don't understand the power of our good God. The more we are mown down by you, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is the seed of the church. And now there's an estimated over 215 million Christians this world over who live in areas where it is illegal to be a Christian. Whether they're imprisoned or murdered because of their association with this life and its places that are more east in the globe and further south where the church is exploding, where oppression is felt. You see, the more the world kills the church, the more it grows because that is the very arc of how God has worked in the world through his son Jesus. How did he win? Through suffering and death. How does the church win? Through continued suffering and death. They cannot squash the church. Nothing that the world throws at the church will bring the church to an end. And what also can't be missed is it's not only that Christians throughout history have died for the faith. And today, it's not just that our brothers and sisters around the world are being murdered and persecuted for their faith. And I say this very soberly. 
But many of our brothers and sisters, so many of them, when they are breathing their last under untold persecution, they do not do so with moaning and groaning, but more often than not are doing it with praying and worshiping and singing. And that just throws a mockery to every form of torture this world can throw, every power and authority structure that this world seeks, that they, they think they have power over what God can do in the world. It's this kind of life that's unstoppable. It's this kind of life that's attractive, that's beautiful. And if history teaches us anything, when we come to look at the church, one of the greatest downfalls to one of the greatest empires in the world, the Roman Empire, was that brothers and sisters in the faith, in many ways, saying, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. And when you start to think about our context in Kansas City, sure, we, we may not experience we surely don't experience some of the excruciating physical trauma and pain that many of our brothers and sisters experience. But it's still no easy thing to be honest and wholly devoted to this life here in our context. And if it is easy, then you've probably missed it. No matter what context we find ourselves, we still live in a broken world. There are still moments of fear when we feel called to stand and speak up for Christ and his cause, to fully embody, embrace, and proclaim the words of this life. And so we sure, certainly, should be praying for our brothers and sisters who are undergoing such great oppression. But don't stop there. I hope we don't stop there. I hope we don't say, well, it's not as bad as what they're experiencing. I hope we learn and, and take the example of our brothers and sisters and it informs us how to live out our faith here in the midst of Kansas City, in the midst of your vocation, in the midst of your relationships, that this life really does embody, does encompass, and then therefore inform how you proclaim the words of this life to all that you're engaged with. Because one thing is true, while this life is not illegal here yet, when it's fully embraced, when it's boldly proclaimed, this life still invites suffering here. And the hallmark response of the church, look, the church is known for a lot of things in the United States, but the hallmark response to persecution, to opposition, to threats is not meant to be anger. It's not meant to be judgment. It's not meant to be hate, but oh, what do we see here? Rejoicing. <laughs> is that our modus operandi? Is that the way that we normally go? Oh, that we might be counted worthy to suffer for his name. I think we've got a lot of growing here such that when suffering comes, it might be a scene of unexplainable joy. Not a simplistic joy, not a joy that always replaces every bit of sorrow this side of heaven, but a robust joy that simultaneously where we can say we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing in a life that is unstoppable. So I want to ask us a question, a question I was asking of myself this week. Does your life look like this life? Does your life look like this life? Are you experiencing this kind of life? And if not, why not? I think one of the catalysts for the apostles' joy was because their life was defined by this life. It was centered on Jesus such that if they're now associated with him and it costs them everything, they still win. But if it's anything else, 
Discontentment will break in. Despair and cynicism will rule. Does your life look like this life? Where forgiveness is made to the nth degree and joy is now provided by the power of the Spirit. Because here this, this life is available to everyone who receives Jesus, embodies this life, follows Jesus, trusts Him one day at a time. And oh, rest assured that this life cannot be stopped no matter what life throws at it. Because can you imagine, I just want you to sit here for a second, allow your imagination to go, what if we, what if we were known, like really known as a joyful people in Kansas City? Look, the, the church is known for a lot of things. Um, but what if when you became a member of this church, when we gathered together as a church, one of the goals was to ask and to, to, to really pursue that the Holy Spirit would grow our joy in the calling to which we've been called. If we were unafraid to lean into suffering no matter where it reared its head because it meant standing in the name of Jesus or speaking in the name of Jesus, then we might know the authenticity, the beauty of Jesus' words when he says, blessed or better translated, happy are those who suffer for my name's sake. What if this life was really life-giving here? What would it mean for our church, for our community, for our city, your relationships, the next generation who's watching, whether we're chagrining our call or being you know, frustrated with our call or consistently cynical with life rather than the joy that the gospel offers? Because listen, some people will be jealous like we see here in our text. Some people will wonder and they'll stop at that, but there will be many who will look upon suffering and see an unexplainable joy or even another way to put it, a peace that surpasses understanding, a hope that is anchored in something other than circumstances and they'll say, I want that life to be my life. Wouldn't that be beautiful? This life is worth your life. And this life, from the outside looking in, it looks counterintuitive, but from the inside out really is the good life. Why would you want anything else? Let's pray. Sovereign God, thank you for this life we have in Jesus. Thank you for your word, the words of this life such that we can hear it and believe. God, I first just want to pause to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted for their faith in Jesus. We pray that while in severity of pain, your Holy Spirit would strengthen them to remember the promise of everlasting life for all who trust Christ. May the church amidst so much hate remember how much you love them with an invincible love as displayed in the gospel so that they might know how to share that same gospel even with those who oppress them. Heavenly Father, may those who are gripped by fear be empowered by your grace to fearlessly tell others about Jesus. Loving God, we pray that in the midst of suffering, imprisonment, beatings, rejection, and confiscated, confiscation of loved ones, that they would continue to have access to your word, that they might be enriched by your promises. Give your brothers, our brothers and sisters, courage to remain in their homeland as a gospel witness and continue to bring around them a new family in the church who loves and supports them emotionally and physically. 
Oh, also, God, may you be an advocate for women who are already socially vulnerable and have lost the custody of their children because of their faith. And we pray that you would provide persecuted believers with jobs and, yes, safe places to live. But as we lift up our brothers and sisters, God, may you break our hearts over the suffering of your body around the world. And rather than run from it, guide us to also here encourage here in Kansas City, to enter into suffering with our global family for the purpose of your gospel, this life, and the glory of your name and the joy that comes in your name. May we not, oh God, protect us, be so arrogant as to not trust that joy is possible. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Lord Jesus, come quickly. And precious Holy Spirit, comfort, care, and sustain the church in all places until the joy of Jesus Christ return. It is in his name, the name in whom we preach, proclaim, and live, for whom millions have counted it an honor and even a joy to die. We pray amen, amen, and amen.